Once again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. My name is Pastor Micah, and we are so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Um, and what we want to do right now is just dig into God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab one of those. If you don't have one with you, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor there under the chairs. You can grab that and follow along with us that way as well. We're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit today in the Word, but we're going to start in Romans chapter 3. So you can go ahead and get there. The other scriptures are at the top of your outline, so you can kind of follow along that way as well. But we're going to start in Romans 3 today. So um, we're on the, in this kind of this series, this relationship series, looking at how can we have stronger, healthier, more God-glorifying relationships. And we're looking at specifically kind of through the lens of marriage. But again, today, most of the principles that I'm going to give you, you can apply to multiple relationships in your life, not just uh, a married situation. So um, I remember whenever Courtney and I first got married, we, uh, we went on our honeymoon, as most newly married couples do, and we got a cabin up in the Smoky Mountains, and so we were there kind of all week, and it was way up on the top of this mountain, you had to go up this really long kind of windy road to get there, and uh, one night we went out for dinner, and we were coming back to the cabin, and right as we kind of turned off of the, the main road and onto the, the side road to go up the mountain, uh, Courtney turns to me, and she's like, Micah, I gotta pee, and I'm like, not a great time, like there's, there's, like, there's nothing here, we're in the middle of nowhere, um, and so, but being the, the good, you know, loving, compassionate, merciful, newlywed husband that I was, I did what every good husband would do. I started swerving the car back and forth on the road to shake her up and make her have to go worse. Um, and so we're heading up this mountain road and uh, we kind of come around this kind of blind curve and there was a car coming at us on their side of the road. Uh, just happens to me that I was also on their side of the road at that point in time. So I swerved the car back over to the other side, and it's like this little kind of narrow road. And as I do, the front passenger tire slips off of the pavement and into this really steep ditch kind of embankment, and our car just goes sliding down into this ditch and comes about literally this close uh, from hitting a giant telephone pole. So at that point, um, I did the second uh, most mature thing of my new married life. I started banging on the steering wheel and shouting obscenities at myself for making such a stupid mistake. I was a lot closer to the old Micah back then than I am today. Uh, so that's what's happening, and so I get out of the car, and I go and I look, and we're like almost in the time, and so I pull up, no way we're getting out of this ditch without help, right? Like we are stuck for sure, we need a tow truck, pull out my cell phone, no reception on the side of the mountain. Um, and so I just start hiking down the road to the main road to try to get reception. Um, don't say anything to Courtney. Just start walking. And uh, so meanwhile, while I'm walking down the mountain, she, my, my brand new bride, who still has to go to the bathroom, by the way, is in the passenger seat of the car in the middle of the ditch, thinking to herself, who have I married? Like, who is this crazy man and what just happened to my life? Um, and so... Unfortunately, that wouldn't be the last ditch that we ended up in those first couple of years of marriage. Um, that was the first, last physical ditch, but relationally, we hit a lot of those along the way. And I think that's just kind of the way it works when you're working through marriage and you're learning how to do relationships together. And so, um, but just like that first ditch, all the ones after it were all the same reason. And in the end, at the end of the day, it's always a lack of grace that gets us there. When circumstances come up, when conflict comes up, when problems come our way, if we don't have grace from the Lord and for each other, we end up in ditches like this. And so today we're gonna look at this, how do we navigate conflict in our relationships with grace? 
the way that the Lord has called us to do. Here's your main thought for today's message. I can't avoid the curves in marriage, but with God's grace, I can avoid a crash. We can't always avoid the curves, okay? When you have, anytime you invest in a relationship with anyone, at some point, some stuff's gonna happen. Some curves are gonna come, some circumstances are gonna come. You can't avoid that, that's just part of life. But if we know how to navigate those correctly with the grace of the Lord, we can't avoid ending up in a ditch like we did that day. So I'm gonna give you four things today from God's word on how to press into conflict in a way that's full of grace, okay? So here's the first one, point number one today. First gear, as you're heading down the road of marriage, first gear, in humility, suspect myself first. In humility, suspect myself first. Let me give you Romans 3 for this. Look at chapter 3, verse 23 in your Bibles there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul just lays it out there. He just starts right from the beginning. All have sinned. Um, if you're a really good Bible scholar and you went back and you read there in the original language in the Greek and you translated that word all, uh, it would mean all. You, me, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that about, not, not your spouse, but do you believe that about yourself today? Do you have that understanding of your own heart that it is sinful and that it desires things that aren't of the Lord? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Fall short means we don't measure up. That God has this perfect, holy standard that is his character and we can't reach it. We do not measure up to the perfection of God. But thankfully, he says we can be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Justified by his grace, that's the only way to be made right with God. The only way to have your sins forgiven, the only way to have your relationship restored with him is by his free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. In a very short precise couple sentences. We're sinners. We can't fix it. We can't measure up to who God is. We will never reach his perfection. We can't do enough good stuff to get there. We can't do enough to correct what we've already done. It's, we're already sunk. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and be perfect in our place, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death, to pay for sin, to pay the debt, the guilt, the, the, to take the wrath of God's uh, righteousness on himself for our sin, for our debt. And then he went to the ground and three days later he rose back to life to show us that he was God, to show us that he had conquered that sin, that it was paid for, that it was done. And he offers us grace. The free gift of God to forgive our sins and wash us clean of all of it. The next verse I want to share with you is 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Many of you might know this one. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, if, if, you have, if you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourself. You're fooling yourself. Sometimes we're good at that, aren't we? Fooling ourselves into believing that we're not that bad, that we don't really have that many problems, that we can handle it, that fooling ourselves into thinking, I don't need God's grace. When we say we have no sin, that's essentially what we're saying to God. I don't have any sin, so I don't need your grace. I don't need your help. I don't need your salvation. I don't need anything from you, God. He says, if you say that, you're deceiving yourself. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice there, notice who's doing the cleansing. It doesn't say that if you, forget, if you confess your sins, he'll forgive you and you can clean yourself up. He says, no. And then he, Jesus Christ, will come and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How does that work, Micah? This is what we call in theology terms, Christ's imputed righteousness. It's when God comes and he says, you know what? I'm going to take your sin, and in place of that, I'm going to give you my perfection. I'm going to give you my holiness. I'm going to give you my righteousness that isn't yours. You didn't earn it. You couldn't achieve it. You could not get there, but I'm going to take your sin from you, and I'm going to cleanse you of that. I'm going to give you this instead. That's grace. I'm righteous before God as a Christian, not because of anything I've done, not because of anything I've achieved. I have not arrived. The only reason I'm good with God is because Jesus, perfection, was given to me through grace. That truth should humble all of us. Dave Harvey, the author of the book that I mentioned last week, wrote this. He said, true, true humility is living confident in Christ's righteousness and suspicious of our own. How good is that, right? It's knowing that anything in good in me is all Jesus and not me. And so anytime there's a conflict or an issue in my life or my marriage or my relationships, the first place I should look for a cause of that issue or conflict is right here. Because I know me. This past weekend, um, we took our daughters down to um, my niece's birthday party uh, and she had it at a skating rink and so our, our girls they do like to skate and it's like roller skating not ice skating roller skating they like roller skating but they don't get to do it a whole lot and so um they're not very good and so so there's a lot of falling and there's a lot of you know crying and all that kind of stuff and so um the other two were kind of doing all right so Karis was really kind of struggling with the whole thing and so I spent most of my time working with her and helping her around skating and as long as I was beside her kind of holding her up at her shoulders or her hands or if I was in front of her and kind of holding her hands then she was doing okay she was skating all looked good she was just heading down the way and it looked like from every observer that she was doing fine with skating but as soon as I would let go or she would let go of me she'd start flailing all over the place and boom crash to the ground okay that's a picture of us and righteousness as long as I'm holding on to Jesus, as long as he's holding on to me, then I'm good. 
and everything's moving forward and God's good with me and we're all in step together, smooth sailing. But as soon as I think I can do it on my own and I let go of him and I push away, because he doesn't let go of us, but if I let go of him and I push away, I, I got this one, Jesus. It's not long before the crash is coming. The difference is that one day, hopefully, Karis will learn how to skate on her own. We will never get to a place where we are righteous on our own. Not until the day that we are made perfect in glory in the presence of the king. We always need Jesus. He's the perfect one, not us. So if there's a problem in my life, if there's a problem in my relationship, in my marriage, in humility, suspect myself first. I need to look at my own heart first. Which brings me to the second gear. So second gear of heading down the road of marriage is this. In integrity, inspect myself first. In integrity, inspect myself first. This can kind of come from Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. We actually taught on this just a a few, a little while ago, actually. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is like, how can you possibly see the speck way over there in them, and you can't see the log sticking out of your own head? But so often that's how it works, isn't it? How often are we so focused on someone else's sin that we completely look past our own? I think we do that because, if we're being honest, it's easier. It's a lot easier for me to go look at your sin than to take a look at my own heart and my own stuff. He says, let me take the speck out of your eye. Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Why, Why are we so often quick to want to correct other people's sin when we haven't even corrected our own yet. Because it hurts less, maybe, right? It doesn't hurt me nearly as much to point out your stuff as it does to deal with my stuff, right? So all of our attention gets out there, but Jesus says, that's not what we do. So that's hypocritical. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Jesus tells us to deal with our own sin first, because in the end, that's the only sin that you can repent of and change. The only sin that you can repent of and change is your own. You can't do that for your spouse. You can't do that for your kid or your friend or your boss. You can't. Only they can deal with their own sin. You can come alongside them. You can help. You can support. You can encourage each person has to repent of their own sin. So Jesus says, deal with your own stuff, man. Quit worrying about other people's. Again, Harvey in his book wrote this. He says, scripture does not give me permission to make the sin of my spouse my first priority. Man, how often are we guilty of that? Right? Nowhere in scripture does it tell us to be the police of our spouse or to worry about them and their stuff. It just tells us to deal with ours. In 15 years of marriage and 
ministry and counseling. I've done lots of marriage counseling, worked with lots of couples one time. Um, and, and what I see over and over again is that this is the, the make or break it issue for whether or not a marriage is going to work is where did they inspect first when problems come? If they're always looking outside of themselves at the other person, that's a death sentence for a marriage. Remember one time we had a couple in our church and they were coming to church for a while and everything looked great, man. They, were, they just looked like this great couple and everything was together and they, they worked really hard to make it look great. Um, but one day the, the husband contacted me and said, hey, can we get together for lunch? And so we sat down and he started telling me all these things that were going on in his marriage and how, how awful she was and how vindictive she was and how you know, she was selfish and greedy and all these other things. And he just went on and on about all these problems in his marriage and said, well, let's, I said, let's start meeting together and talking through some stuff. And, and so we did. And, and after a couple sessions, he kind of started to see his part that he was playing in the whole thing and what he was contributing to the issues, but he was still primarily focused on her, her stuff. And then interestingly enough, shortly thereafter, I get a call from her and she proceeds on a two-hour conversa- phone conversation to tell me all the stuff that's wrong with him. And he does this and he does that and he's manipulative and he's a liar and da-da-da-da-da and the whole list goes on and on. And I said, well, I've been talking to your husband. I think all three of us should get together, talk through this. You guys can talk one. I'll mediate. We can work through these issues together. And this isn't a verbatim quote, but her basic response was, I'll only do that if you tell me I'm right and you get him fixed. Yeah, that's not the way we do counseling here. Um, so, so that never happened. And unfortunately, we were never able to help them get to a better place. Because they, neither one was willing. They both had tunnel vision. They were not willing to look at, them, at their own selves first. They were so focused on the other person that it never got anywhere. That's not how God works in our marriages. Our job is not to police our spouses, not to change them. We can't do that. Do you understand that? You can't change them. You don't have that power. Only Jesus has that power. Only God can change a heart. Only the Holy Spirit can convict of sin. And when we try to do it for him, it gets all of us in trouble. The only sin I can repent of and change is my own. So I have to start there. Part of this whole self-inspection thing, I would just give you a little two quick, maybe application caveats here. The, one of the things we need to think about, about when we're looking at self-inspection is the source of the conflict. In other words, what am I contributing to this and what are they contributing to this? Because 99% of the time, there's at least some fault on both sides. I don't know that I've ever sat in a room and got to the bottom of a conflict in a marriage where it was all just one person. Okay? A verse for that, Proverbs 18, 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. We always think that our side is the right side until we hear the other side. And sometimes if you're, good, if you're like me, you're really good at arguing it out in your head. You never say anything verbally, like, but you're playing the, the courtroom in your head about what's going on, and you don't even get to hear the other side. You just assume your side's right. Second thing we need to talk, think about in terms of self-inspection is our perceptions and assumptions. What am I walking into this thinking I already know to be true that may not be true? 
Sometimes we're really good at fooling ourselves into believing that something's a certain way when it's not. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts are really good at blurring our vision and making us not always see things clearly. And sometimes we bring those perceptions and assumptions into our marriages, into our relationships, and it causes greater conflict. So in first gear, in humility, suspect myself first. Second gear, in integrity, inspect myself first. Inspect my heart. And then third gear, admit circumstances only reveal existing sin. Let's look at Luke 6.45 for this. It says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart Evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So Jesus is doing some teaching here on the heart. And basically what he says is, good comes from a good heart. And bad comes from a bad heart. Okay? So whatever you have inside of you, when things get tough, when circumstances get hard, that's what's going to come out. That's what's going to come out. Whatever you've been storing up, whatever you've been cultivating in your heart is going to show itself. It's interesting to me as I deal with couples, especially like young couples, most people think, myself included, think that we are more spiritually mature than we really are before we get married. Okay? We think like we're doing pretty good until the marriage thing comes. Because here's what happens. See, like when you're single... The only person that you have to really deal with on a regular basis is yourself. And I'm perfectly good with my stuff, right? Like I have no problems with my own sins and my own issues because I've gotten comfortable with them and they're good for me and nobody's ragging on me about it. Nobody's pressing up again. Like I'm good with me. And then all of a sudden we get into a relationship or we get married and all of a sudden I become this like angry, impatient, blame shifter ugly person. I'm like, I was never like that before. Like, where did this, I wasn't like that. It must be her. It must be her fault. Like, she's making me like this. Right? But that's, that's not really what it is. The reality is that those issues were always there. You just didn't have anybody else rubbing up against you to pull them out. Marriage heats up the engine of my heart. And whatever is in there comes spewing out. As you hit the circumstances, as you hit the hard stuff, man, that just heats up that heart and it just gets to a place where whatever's in there is eventually going to come spewing out. It became uh, painfully obvious early in our marriage that Courtney and I thought about punctuality very differently. Um, for me, I was always like a 15 minutes early everywhere kind of person. Like my, my old mantra was if, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. Okay, so that was kind of the way I thought about it. Uh, when we first got married, her idea of on time was like if the car is pulling into the parking lot where the event is starting at the moment it starts, then we're good. Um, and so it was a wrestle for us. And we, it didn't go real well. We eventually got to a better place uh, and more of a middle ground on that. But but early on, it basically looked like this. We would be going somewhere, I would be ready 10 minutes before we were supposed to even leave, and I would be impatiently pacing the house, 
uh, waiting for her to get done with whatever she was doing back there. And eventually I would get so fed up with walking around the house, I would actually go out and sit in the car and start the car and just be fuming in the garage, waiting for her to magically appear uh, through the door and catch up with the rest of time and space as we know it uh, today. And so this was my thinking. I'm sitting here going, why can't she get this? Why can't she understand what, what she's doing to me, what she's doing to the rest of the world? Like, and I would get so angry with all of this. And in my heart, in my head, I, it was always, it's her. This is her fault. I'm angry now because of her. But that wasn't true. I was angry because I had some pride and selfishness and anger in my heart. And someone different than me was pulling that out. A lot of times that's what conflict is in our marriage or any other relationship. Two people running into each other in life and whatever's inside of us is gonna come spewing out. It's not them, it's not their fault. They didn't cause it. They just showed you what was already there. What's really interesting to me about this is when we look at this in terms of Jesus's life. You ever notice in the gospels, you never hear any stories of like Jesus like slamming the car door or like, you know, like storming out of the room or giving by the silent treatment. Like he doesn't get irritable. He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't get hostile. I'm like, why? Why doesn't Jesus do this? Because he was never married, right? No, no, that's not the reason. That's not the reason. It's because, it's because when he was unjustly accused and arrested and imprisoned and tortured and killed, all things that I've never been, when all that was happening to him, in Luke 23, 34, Jesus says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What? What? How how could Jesus say that? Because when his engine was heated up with the trials of life, what was in his heart came out. Love, compassion, grace, mercy, That's what was inside, and that just came out. As you think about your own relationships, you think about the most recent conflict you went through, what came spewing out of your heart? when you got heated up with whatever it was, and maybe it was the same thing that's happened for the last 20 years over and over again every week, when whatever, maybe it was a brand new offense that just popped out of nowhere, maybe it's a health issue, maybe, what, I don't know what it is for you, but whatever your major thing was, when that came on your life, what did it force to come out of your heart? And if you didn't like what you saw, then we have some heart work to do. Not spouse work to do, not coworker work to do, not neighbor or kid work to do. We have some heart work to do. Admit that circumstances only reveal 
existing sin. That's the third gear. Number four, last one for today. Fourth gear is this. Focus on undeserved grace, not unmet needs. Focus on undeserved grace, not unmet needs. Flip over to James chapter 4. I want you to see this for yourselves in the text. James chapter 4, verse 1 is where we're going. As I've been, um, you know, in ministry for a while now and looking at counseling and different books and stuff, there's been, there's been this approach to conflict resolution and marital counseling, both in counseling and there was actually a pretty well-known Christian counseling book uh, a, a few years back uh, that had this whole idea that every conflict in our marriage or in your relationships at all were the result of unmet needs, okay? That the problem with whatever is going on is that one side or the other is not meeting the needs of the other side. And so if you would just meet her needs and if you would just meet his needs, then all would be good. And things are gonna be awesome and you'll both feel pleased and everything's gonna be good and and you won't have any conflict in your marriage. You just need to meet each other's needs. There's several problems with that. Number one, no one can do that. Like, you cannot meet all the needs of your spouse perfectly. It's not going to happen. We don't have that capacity. The second problem with that approach and thinking of marriage is that it makes marriage into a business contract rather than a covenant. Let me explain the difference here because this is so critical for how we understand marriage in our society. Our society is very, very good with contract. We understand contracts. We use them all the time, right? Like, and the contract basically says this. If you do X, then I will do Y, right? And if you don't do X, then I don't have to do Y. And so it's always dependent on if you do your thing, then I'll do my thing. And it's this reciprocal relationship. And if you don't live up to your end of the bargain, then I don't have to. And it gives me an out for the marriage, or for whatever else it is. So when we start thinking about that marriage is all about if you meet my needs, then I'll meet your needs, then we get in this contractual relationship that's easily broken. But the Bible talks about marriage as a covenant. Covenant is different. Covenant says, I'm here for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you no matter what. No matter what you say, no matter what you do or don't do, Because God has loved me, because he has given me grace, because he has put me here for you, I'm all in. I'm not going anywhere. And if both sides have that approach to marriage, that I'm here to love and serve because God has done that for me, man, it gets so sweet. And we don't have to worry about who's meeting whose needs because everybody's getting loved and served in the marriage. Which is the third problem with this idea of unmet needs is that it leads not to two loving spouses, but it leads to two spoiled, selfish toddlers who are always crying out, my needs, my needs, my needs. The Bible does not say that conflict is a result of unmet needs, but rather unsatisfied desires. Look at James Chapter four, verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James says, what's, what's the result of, con- or what's the cause of conflict in, and what's the source of these problems? He says, it's the passions at war within you. That word passions is, means those fleshly, sinful desires that our heart demands so often. I want what I want, and I want it now. Right? We all have that inside of us. As we grow, as we mature, as we get to be adults, we find better ways to suppress it or at least hide it. But it's still there. And when we allow those unsatisfied desires to take reign in our life and in our relationship, it creates fights, it creates quarrels, it creates conflicts. When I'm saying me, 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 he says right here, you desire and you do not have. That's it right there. That's the source of your conflict. There's something you wanted that you didn't get, and now you're mad about it. Now, let me just kind of clarify here needs versus desires, because it's not wrong to have needs. We all have needs. God created us as finite beings, right? And so we're not perfect. We can't meet everything that we need. So we do have needs. That's a legitimate thing. But oftentimes, what we say are needs are actually desires masquerading as needs. You know what I'm talking about, right? We live in such a self-indulgent society that it has convinced us that we deserve and we need all these things that no one ever promised to you, God included. But we get so up on our throne of our heart and this is who I am and I deserve this and I need this and we start qualifying all these things as needs that are actually just our selfish hearts calling out to be satisfied. But either way, ultimately the problem with a marriage that is based in needs or desires is that it's more focused on me than on God. And anytime we get anything more focused on me than God, man, we're running a bad, bad track at that point. Instead of focusing on what I desire, I need to focus on the gift of abundant grace that God has already given to me. That he's already given me more than I ever deserved and ever needed and ever desired, and he has flooded my life with grace, and I need to be able to know that and extend that to my spouse. As my heart becomes filled with the gratitude of grace instead of the greed of needs, I can then extend that grace to my spouse in points of conflict and hardship and struggle. And when both spouses are living with that gratitude for God's grace and they're extending it to one another, it helps us navigate the curves of life and saves us from the debilitating crashes on the side of the road. It all comes down to this right here. What's controlling my heart? Undeserved grace or unfulfilled needs? What about for you? What most has your attention in your relationships? Is it what you need, what you want, what you're not getting? Or is your focus on, man, God has loved and blessed and given me so much grace in my life 
I would be remiss not to pass that on. Focus on undeserved grace, not unmet needs. Four gears helping us navigate down the road of life. I can't avoid the curves. The curves are going to come. The problems are going to come. The circumstances are going to come. I can't avoid the curves, but I can, by God's grace, avoid a crash. That's what we're going for today. But to do that, that means keeping my eyes on the road of grace rather than selfishness. It means steering clear of blame shifting and and pointing fingers and and holding tight to repentance and, and humility in my life. So I want us right now, right here, I want us just to kind of lean into this with the Lord today. So right there, in your, right there in your chairs, we're just going to have kind of a private time here of prayer and confession before the Lord. Just you privately, silently praying between you and God. We're not going to say anything out loud. We're not going to call out anybody here today. But I'm just going to give you some prompts. I'm going to give you a couple questions to think about. And just give you a time to respond to the Lord in this moment. And maybe clear your heart of some things that are blocking some relationships right now for you. So here's the first thing. Here's the first question. What lies has your sinful heart believed about your marriage, about your spouse, or about yourself? What lies have you heard from the world and from society about these things that you've taken and you've let those settle in your heart and they've caused conflict and they've caused you to view things incorrectly? Take just a moment right now to pray. Confess those to the Lord and ask him to remove those from you. question. How have you focused more on the sin of your spouse or others, other relationships, while neglecting your own repentance? How have you focused more on the sins of somebody else, your spouse or somebody else in your life, rather than your own repentance, your own sin, and those same issues? Just pray, confess that to the Lord right now. Ask him to cleanse you of that.
one more question. How have you focused more on getting your needs met in your relationship rather than loving and serving the other person? How have you been more focused on your needs and your desires and your wants rather than loving and serving? Just confess that to the Lord right now. Ask him to forgive you for that. To give you a heart of grace towards that person. stand with me. I'm just going to pray a corporate prayer over all of us right now that God in his magnificent grace would come and cover everything that we've just confessed to him. That his grace would reign in our hearts and it would reign in our relationships. That he would take us deeper with him and with others as a result of this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. Lord, just so, so thankful for your abundant grace in our lives. Thank you for loving us enough to make a way for us to have a relationship with you. Lord, help us to marvel, to marvel at and be changed by your grace in our lives. Lord, may it touch every part of who we are. Help us to engage, Lord, in relationships full of your grace, ready, eager to extend it to others. Despite all of our shortcomings and our sin, Lord, we know today that your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough to sustain us, to give us a victory in Jesus. So we lean on your grace. 
Christ's name we pray.